Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 12. In chapter 11, we heard from Job's third friend, Zophar the Namathite. He comes across as the least compassionate of the three. Lutheran commentator Franz Delich remarks here, For while Eliphaz and Bildad, with cautious gentleness, describe suffering more as chastisement than as punishment, Zophar proceeds more boldly and demands of Job that he should humble himself as one who has incurred punishment from God. Closed quote. Zophar's approach is completely without nuance. If bad things happen to you, it is because you are a bad person and you need to repent. You brought this on yourself and there is therefore no sense in prolonging your agony. Simply repent and be restored. It's as simple as that. Except that it isn't. Are we ready to think that every mother who loses a child is secretly an adulteress? Are are we to think that tithers live to be 90, whereas gamblers die in their 50s? Are we to believe that people who watch pornography go blind, whereas those who don't produce children who graduate from medical school? Is that really how the world works? Does anyone actually believe that? Sadly, in every generation, there are people who believe that. Today, they have their own television networks, and they fly around in corporate jets, peddling their best-selling books on how to be happy, healthy, good-looking, and successful through the power of personal faith and positive thinking. They preach what we call today the prosperity gospel. Now, when the prosperity gospel is interpreting your success, it is merely delusional. But when it is interpreting failure and suffering, it is downright abusive. Because if happiness and health come because of good things that you do, faith positive things, then flip that around and what do you have? You have blame and personal recrimination when things begin to go sideways. You get people telling you that your baby wouldn't have died if you had had more faith or if you had been a more generous tither. That is the kind of abusive nonsense that absolutely breaks people. And as I said, it has its advocates in every generation. Job has just been assaulted with the ancient version of this malevolent heresy, And in chapter 12, we observe how he responds. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God, and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. 
The tents of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. Here we observe that Job can give as good as he gets. His response is dripping with sarcasm. No doubt you are the people. Your thoughts are the sum total of all human wisdom and insight, and when you depart from the earth, we will all suffer irreparable loss. You aren't saying anything I don't already know, Job says. I know that people reap what they sow. I know that wicked people fall into the pit they dig for others. I know that there is a basic justice to the universe. I know that, generally speaking, wise actions lead to wealth and security, whereas foolish and wicked actions lead to loss and hardship. I know that. I used to teach that. And yet, clearly... There are exceptions to the general rule. My life is an exception to the general rule. I am exhibit A. So if you don't have anything original to contribute to this conversation, then please just sit down. I am suffering too much to listen to your ill-considered platitudes. I cannot endure mockery from my friends in addition to everything else I have experienced. The world is a more dangerous place than you know, young Zophar. Disaster stalks even the wisest and most virtuous of people and apparently leaves the wicked at peace. That's the way it is, my friend, and you would know that if you ever came down from your ivory tower to take a tour through the actual universe. Job invites him to do just that in verse 7. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Everybody knows that the world is more complicated than your neat little theories would suggest, Job says. God is in control. God is sovereign over everything. And yet... Strange things are happening in the world. You can't ignore that or paper that over with proverbs and fortune cookie maxims. Verses 11 to 12 seem to mean something like, you enjoy sampling ideas like a man enjoys sampling soup, but everything you say fails when actually tested by reality. Authentic wisdom comes from lengthy experience in the real world, and the simple, observable, and verifiable truth is that not everything works out the way wisdom would suggest that it should. Therefore, we must conclude that God is working some mysterious purpose. And Job begins to explain this idea in the verses that follow. Verse 13. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. 
With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped. And judges, he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away, stripped, and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. In these verses, Job begins to explore God's active sovereignty in the world, what our grandparents used to refer to as divine providence. He says that God uses various tools. He uses the weather. He uses upheaval in the climate. He uses geopolitics. He uses kings and counselors, all to influence the course of human history. Again, this is right in line with what we read in Proverbs. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So God steers the course of human history by taking hold of human leaders. He, he might pour out a spirit of drunkenness on a leader in order to tip the human experience in one direction or another. In Jeremiah 13, 13 to 14, for example, we read, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of the land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. So the fastest way for God to destroy a nation is to make all of that nation's leaders drunk, metaphorically, such that they tear into each other and bring the country down around their ears. According to the Bible, God does that sort of thing. He tips human affairs this way and that in order to advance his own agenda. But what is his agenda? That is the question that Job is wrestling with. He's trying to figure out what God is doing. He understands that God has the wheel, but he cannot see where he is trying to drive the bus. It almost looks to Job like there is no plan at all. He says that in verse 16. He says, the deceived and the deceiver are his. God seems to be playing games with the good guys and the bad guys alike indiscriminately. That's not what you would expect, but it is hard to deny that that's what's going on. Job is bravely facing the world as it is, not as he and his friends would like it to be. And yet, as the speech continues, and you have to wait for chapter 13 to really hear this turn, Job begins to back away from the suggestion that God is indiscriminate in his dealings. We've talked about this already. That's what frustrates the friends about Job's speech. He goes down a certain road, a certain line of thinking, hits a brick wall, turns around, and begins to back away. And we see that in chapter 13. 
Job doesn't understand what God is doing, but he is willing to take it on faith that there must be some kind of rational plan. Francis Anderson summarizes Job's faith in this speech by putting it this way. He has Job saying, there is an intelligent purpose. That's where Job lands. The acts are deliberate. Even if man can barely see their meaning or moral justification, closed quote. So that's where we land. That's, that's the debate thus far between Job and his friends. Zophar sees the world like a machine that reliably punishes evil and rewards good. Job has been punished. Therefore, Zophar concludes, Job has done evil. Simple. Job, on the other hand, contends that the world is much more complicated than that. God is working a mysterious plan. He is playing a long game, and Job cannot see the end or discern the pattern at this particular moment. No one, however, thinks that the world is out of control. That option has not been raised and won't be raised by anyone. Everyone in this conversation agrees that God is driving the bus. But Job has discovered that the bus is not following the route they had all assumed. Strange things are going on that cannot be accounted for by wisdom or experience alone. Job can't explain those things at this point in the dialogue. But he has discerned their existence in his own horrific suffering. This conversation is not over, not by a long shot, but it has turned an important corner. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.